When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our very good friends at MyBookie. We all love college football, guys, but as much as we love it, it can actually be even a little bit more fun when you have some stakes riding on some of the games that don't necessarily involve Georgia. So have some fun this season by betting responsibly with MyBookie.ag. And if you are a brand new user, if you sign up for a new account, and use the promo code UGA, you'll get a 50% bonus on that first deposit. You really can't beat that, guys. So if you deposit 200 bucks, you have $300 to play with. If you deposit 500 bucks, you got 750 to play with. You guys get the idea. So again, that's mybookie.ag. Use the promo code UGA to get that 50% deposit bonus. But all right, I am your host, Tyler. And today, we are back on the Scouting the Enemy train. And on this fine Tuesday, we are putting the Missouri Tigers under the microscope. This is a team that a lot of people out there see as somewhat of a sleeper in the SEC. And it's also a team very much looking to break through under now fourth-year head coach Eli Drinkwitz. So we'll dive into the Missouri Tigers here in just a moment. But first, just a couple quick friendly reminders. I know I keep reminding you guys about it, but I'm going to keep on reminding you guys about it because I'm putting a lot of work into it. We have our new Glory UGA YouTube channel running right now. I've got three videos up, and I'm already at work on the next video. And I do just want to make sure everyone understands it's not the same content that you get here on the podcast. It's it's our same style of content, but it, it's different stuff. It's separate from the podcast. This is not me just recording the podcast and posting it on YouTube. Now, these are, these are shorter, more concentrated videos that are quicker for you guys to consume when you don't have as much time. So that's kind of the idea. I want to give you guys something a little bit different than you get here on the podcast. Got some video breakdowns I'm throwing out there, which obviously I cannot do through a podcast. I can explain things to you on here, but I can't show you things. YouTube allows me to do that. I have some really big plans for it with the coming season, do a lot of game breakdown stuff, and I'm really, really excited about it. And uh, hey, it's, it's been fun. I'm getting better at it, and I think the content is going to be something you guys really enjoy. So thank you to everyone who has already subscribed, who's already watching the videos, who are liking the videos, who are commenting on the videos. I appreciate each and every one of you. I truly mean that. And if you haven't had a chance to check the channel out, no worries. There's plenty of time before the season. Give it a shot. I think you will enjoy it. Like and subscribe, and I would sincerely appreciate it. And also, I do want to give a couple quick shout-outs here. So as we get closer to the season, we have a lot of new listeners and also some listeners who've been around for a while, just maybe haven't gotten around to doing the uh, five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Pods or Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. But we've had a few come in lately, and uh, I want to just give a shout-out to Tiffany 
Thank you so much, Tiffany, for your incredibly kind words on Apple Pods. I really, really appreciate that. And thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Trenton, my man, Trenton's been a longtime listener. I know you've been around for a while, man, but he got around to giving us a five-star rating and review, Trenton. That was very, very generous of you, man. I really appreciate that. And I know there's a couple more that have come in. Sometimes like you act like if you review it, like if you type something out, it takes a, a couple of days for that to get approved by Apple. But as soon as those names come through, I will be giving you guys a shout out. So thank you for everyone who's done that. And if you haven't yet, that would be great. I would really appreciate that. But all right, guys, enough of all that stuff. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to some football talk. And man, I love doing these episodes. I don't know if you guys realize just how much I enjoy doing these episodes. I know this is not necessarily Georgia specific, but I just love college football. I mean, obviously, Georgia football is my my lifeblood. That's my passion. All of those things are very, very true, but I also just love college football, and I, you know, running a Georgia podcast, we don't get as much of a chance to talk about some, some of these other teams, so I really enjoy doing those and kind of breaking down these teams that we're going to play each year. It's just, uh, man, this is what I live for. I love this stuff, so I'm excited about it. I know Missouri is not a, a power program, but let's also not forget what happened last season, or what almost happened last season in Columbia, Missouri. Um, I almost died. I almost died a couple different times sitting there in Columbia, which, God, what a town. I love Columbia, Missouri. I'm very, like, I, I, I think it's cool that we're adding some more teams to the SEC. We're going to play all these different teams on a more regular basis, but I am going to miss traveling to Como every other year. I love, love, love that trip. So, I mean, we still get to go there once every four years, but once every other year, that was great. But despite the fact that they're not really a power program, at least not right now and really not ever in their history, I do find this Missouri team to be a very, very interesting team because they have some nice pieces. Like They have some really talented players at spots on this team. The problem is for them, they just don't have enough of them. There's not enough depth up and down the roster, like depth of talent to beat the better teams on their schedule. Like they got close to being us last year. They have enough good players to push a team like Georgia when they get us at home. And it's the top team in the country coming to town, the defending national champion. And it's at night. You know, of course, they get night games. We don't get night games. We all know, we all know how that works. You know, they have enough talent if things go their way that, hey, they, they can push one of these better teams like we saw last year, but beat one of these better teams, actually pull off the upset. They have not shown the ability to do that yet. And I believe entering 2023... This is a really important year for head coach Eli Drinkwitz. I don't think it's necessarily a make or break year. Like he doesn't have to win 10 games or he's gone. I don't necessarily think that's the case, but I do think he needs to show progress this year. I think that's pretty clear at this point because the reality is they have shown absolutely no improvement over the Barry Odom era the last three years under Eli Drinkwitz. They have not. I mean, you fire Barry Odom, who was a solid coach, maybe not great, but a solid coach, and you bring in Eli Drinkwitz, when you fire a coach and bring in a new guy, you expect him to do better. But again, the reality is they have not shown any improvement over the Barry Odom era, at least from a record standpoint. In fact, from a record standpoint, which at the end of the day, isn't that what really matters? It's actually been a step back. I mean, Odom did something that Drinkwitz has still yet to do post a winning season. And Odom did it twice. Drinkwitz has still not done that. But Odom was four years and out, following a 6-6 six and six campaign in 2019. He won eight games in 2018, then followed it up with 6-6 six and six in 2019. He's out the door. And this is a Mizzou alum. Like, this guy was 100% Mizzou. And 
kicked him out of the door. You bring in Eli Drinkwitz, who is a hot name from Appalachian State, at least that's where he was right before he was at Missouri as the head coach, and you expect more, but he hasn't really given them more. But Eli Drinkwitz is a good talker. He's he's kind of a nerdy-looking dude, right? But the man can talk. He's got some shots. He, at SEC Media Days, he threw some things out. And uh, that's, I don't necessarily know that that's kind of what's kept him around because, you know, Missouri is not a program that is entirely flush with cash. So firing a couple guys and, and paying them their buyouts, that's not something that they're able and really willing to do the way that some other programs might be. So they're giving him his opportunity here. He's going into year four, but again, with not one single winning season to show for it. And I go back to Barry Odom. Odom got four years. Out. Here we are, entering year four of Eli Drinkwitz. If he doesn't post a winning season here, is he also out? I think that's reasonable. I think that's a possibility here. He's going to back-to-back bowls, but he has lost both both of them and into the past two years, six and seven. I will give Drinkwitz this. He's recruiting at a higher level, and he is upgrading the overall talent on this Missouri roster. In fact, the 2022 class, not this most recent one that's the, the, the incoming freshman, but the rising sophomore class, that was the highest rated recruiting class in Missouri history based on the recruiting services since they've been tracking these things. And that's, you know, God, it's, it's crazy to say that. I mean, that class was ranked 16th nationally, and that was the highest rated recruiting class ever for Missouri. That's crazy. But that is progress for Missouri. So he's upgrading the talent, but it doesn't matter if you can't translate that to wins on the field. And that hasn't exactly happened. But they have been close. They have been close. Four of their seven losses last year were by a touchdown or less, including our game in Columbia. Three of those seven losses were by four points or less, including the George game. Remember, we beat them 26 to 22. So they've been close, and they they outgained their opponents by 300 yards on the year. That was their their yardage differential. Uh, they out they were outscored by half a point a game. So they really were a like even like statistically from a profile standpoint, they were right about a 500 team. That's what they were. I'm not one of these guys that thinks that you always are what your record says you are. I know that's your record, but some teams are actually better than that, and balances just don't go their way. But Missouri really was what their record said they were last year. From a a statistical standpoint, that's just what this team was. So that is where this program is entering the 2023 season. But that's in the past. What we are far more concerned about on these episodes is what can we expect from Missouri this season? So let's dive in. Let's go back to Eli Drinkwitz. I have a lot of respect for Eli Drinkwitz as an offensive mind. I think he's a very good offensive mind. I'm not sure that everyone's familiar with his background, but he's a longtime Gus Malzahn disciple. I mean, going back to when Gus Malzahn was at Springdale High School in Arkansas, like he coached with Malzahn there. Then he followed Malzahn to Arkansas State. He never went to Auburn with Malzahn, but he was there. He was at Springdale, Arkansas State with Malzahn. Then he kind of went off and did his own thing. He was the OC at Boise State. He was he had a lot of success there. Parlayed that into a, an OC job at NC State. Did a great job at NC State. Parlayed that into the head coaching job at Appalachian State. Had that for one year. Had a really good season because Appalachian State's just a well-oiled machine at the G5 level, and then parlayed that into the Missouri job where he is entering his fourth year, but now he's kind of, for the first time in his career at Missouri, he hasn't had that immediate success, hasn't had a lot of success yet at Missouri. And offensively, well, I told you I do have a lot of respect for him because I've, I've followed his career. I thought he did a great job at NC State. I thought he was good at Boise. I liked what he did at Appalachian State. I think he's a good offensive coach, but 
it has not translated at Missouri. He has been their play caller the first three years on the job. But in those three seasons, the Missouri offense has finished 51st nationally, 43rd, and 55th. Not terrible, but certainly not good and not up to the standards that Eli Drinkwitz typically adheres to as an offensive coach. So what's gone wrong? Like what has been the difference at Missouri? It is very clear. The issue has been quarterback play. I mean, that is the problem, guys. I tell you all the time, if you have a quarterback, you got a chance. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't got much of a chance. And Missouri just hasn't really had that guy yet under Eli Drinkwitz. If you go back wherever he's been as offense coordinator, he's he's had good quarterbacks. And when you have a quarterback, again, you have a chance. Hasn't had that at Missouri. Go back to 2020, his first year of the job. Now, I will give him a little bit of a break here. His first year on the job, 2020, that's a COVID year. That's very tough, man, to walk into a new job during that year with all the restrictions on meeting with players and actually practicing, implementing your system, installing things, that's tough. That's tough. And it wasn't a great year for them. Uh, But Connor Bazelek was the guy, he did not start the season as their starter, but he got kind of, as the season wore on about midway through the year, he took over their job and showed promise in 2020. I I actually thought going to 2021 that Bazelek would be a, a really good quarterback in the SEC. I was wrong. I'll own that. He was not good in 2021. He regressed, actually. And he has all the physical tools. He's a tall guy, fairly athletic, good arm, but it just didn't work out for him in 2021. And I really can't quite explain that because he showed signs in 2020. In 21, it was just a totally different story. So that didn't work out for him. He transfers out. He goes to Indiana. Didn't really work out for him in Indiana because there's no talent around you in Indiana. And now is that Bowling Green. He transferred to Bowling Green. So, uh, man, what a fall. I don't say a fall from grace. There was never like the highs, but you go from Missouri to Bowling Green. It's not usually the trajectory you want to see. So, that didn't work out with Bazelak. Last year, it was a guy named Brady Cook, who was not particularly good. He was fine. He wasn't terrible. He just, he wasn't that guy. Like, he's not one of those guys at quarterback that's going to consistently give you a chance to win every time out. Like, you're not going to win a lot of games because of Brady Cook. He's fine. There are things that he does well. But he's just not an elite guy. He doesn't have those traits. He doesn't have those special traits. Uh, If you look at his numbers last year, he was 45th nationally in QBR, which was 8th in the SEC. That's about right. He's average. He's fine, right? Um, Number 64% completion percentage. Okay, fine-ish. 2,700 yards. mm, Not particularly great. 7.2 yards per attempt. 14 touchdowns to 7 picks. So when I tell you guys he was fine, I mean it. He was fine. Those numbers are fine. Here's what he does well, though. He's he's a mobile dude. Like this guy can move a little bit. Now he's not you know Anthony Richardson type mobile. Like he's not that kind of guy. But he moves well. He's like deceptively quick, and he is a threat with his legs. No doubt about it. He was their second leading rusher last year with 585 yards rushing. And traditionally under the Drinkwitz offense, that has been a part of their offense. He I, I've watched a couple of coaching clips with Eli Drinkwitz. Again, I have a lot of respect for him as an offensive mind. I want to see what he's doing and like wh- where his mind is, what he's thinking when he when he kind of forms his offense. And he openly talks about how he wants a quarterback that can move. And I think that was a big part of why Brady Cook won that job. And he was the guy last year. And that's why he kept that job through the entire year, even though he was very up and down and and far more downs and ups. And when he was good, he wasn't like really good. He was just pretty good at best last year. But this year, Brady Cook is back, but he's not alone this year. They understand, like I just told you, Brady Cook was fine. But they also understand 
that the ceiling with Brady Cook is very limited. You are not going to beat the top teams on your schedule with Brady Cook. You're just not. So they went out and tried to upgrade the talent, that position, to try to pose a challenge to compete with Brady Cook. They brought in a guy named Jake Garcia, who's a former top top 150 recruit, originally from California, uh, moved to Georgia, actually went to Grayson High School, went to Miami at a high school, did not win that job. Um, He had the misfortune of kind of coming in around the same time that Tyler Van Dyke came in. Van Dyke wasn't great last year, but there was offensive malpractice with Josh Gaston, offensive coordinator. But the year before, in 2021, Van Dyke, at least the second half of the year, was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And when he's playing like that, Garcia is not going to get a chance. Garcia did get a chance to play a couple games last year because Van Dyke was in and out of the lineup. He was hurt, didn't always play so well. But when he got his chances, Garcia was not especially good. Um, Van Dyke came back, so Garcia's like, I'm not going to play this year. He transferred out. He's now at Missouri. Sam Horn, another guy who played in Georgia, another Gwinnett County guy, played at Collins Hill High School. He was playing, he was the quarterback with with Travis Hunter at Collins Hill and won a state championship for the Eagles at Collins Hill. One of my old rival high schools. Not our top rival, but a team that we played every year. Horn is another four-star top 150 prospect. He's a big-time baseball player. He plays baseball at Missouri. But these guys are both I don't want to say prep stars, but highly recruited prep quarterbacks. That is not what Brady Cook was. Brady Cook was not recruited by really anyone else other than Missouri. He is a lifetime Missouri fan. He's from Missouri. Like he, in his entire life, just grew up one of those kids that just all he wanted to do is play for Missouri. So when he's out there, the dude plays his guts out. Like you watch him play, the dude's playing a thousand miles an hour. He cares, and I respect that man. I really, really do. But. I go back to it. The fact is, like as much as he cares, as hard as he tries, as much as effort as he puts out there, it just hasn't been good enough. That's the reality. It's tough, but that is the reality. And guys like Sam Horn and Jake Garcia clearly have higher ceilings than Brady Cook does. The issue becomes, are they ready? They don't have the experience. Brady Cook has one thing that neither one of those guys really has. He has a full year of experience starting the SEC. He has somewhat of the trust of your head coach because you know he's gone through the fire with you for at least a full year. So he is entering fall camp as the starter. But that is an open competition. And that competition might carry over even into the early parts of the season. Now, they do have... Kansas State, I think the third week of the season, so they better have an answer by the third week of the season because Kansas State comes to town. But it really depends on how quickly Garcia and Horn can get up to speed, earn the coach's trust. But Brady Cook, by default, has the lead here. He kind of kept that lead through spring practice. Now, I will say Sam Horn was injured during the spring, didn't really practice, wasn't a part of that. So he's allegedly, from what I understand, healthy this fall. So maybe he's going to have a chance to make a run here. We'll see. But that's going to be a very interesting competition to watch through the next couple of weeks of fall camp. So that is definitely going to be a big time competition. Here's what makes it even more interesting. Eli Drinkwitz has given up play calling duties for the very first time in his career. He will not be calling plays. He brought in a guy named Kirby Moore from Fresno State. Now, some of you probably don't pay attention all that much to Mountain West football. Kirby Moore is the brother of Kellen Moore, the younger brother of Kellen Moore, who played quarterback at Boise State, beat us in 2011. That sucks. Don't want to remember that, but it did happen. Uh, Was the offense coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Where is he now? He's somewhere not in Dallas. He's an offense coordinator somewhere now. I don't quite remember the top of my head. Somewhere in the NFL, but he's a highly respected young hotshot coordinator in the NFL. And Kirby Moore is starting to make a name for himself as well, just in the college ranks. The dude's 31 years old. He is extraordinarily young. Uh, he has only been an offensive coordinator, like a full-time play caller for one season. And that was last year at Fresno State. And if you look at their numbers last year at Fresno, and guys, I watched Fresno a couple times last year. I actually won quite a bit of money on them in the uh, Mount West Championship game against Boise State. 
But I know you don't probably don't watch Fresno State that much. I'm just one of those weirdo football junkies, and I watch all kinds of football, even Mountain West football late at night. And uh, I watched him play, and I was impressed. Like, the numbers don't really do it justice. I thought he did a good job. I thought he did, he did a really good job setting up plays. I thought situationally he knew what he was doing with young coordinators. That's not always the case, but the numbers tell you a different story. They were 42nd nationally in yards per play, 49th nationally in scoring offense. So good-ish, right? But they did lead the Mountain West in scoring and total offense. They did win the Mountain West championship last year. They also led the nation in completion percentage. They were very good throwing the football. They weren't as good running the football, and their offensive line wasn't great. Uh, they had Jake Hayner, who once upon a time was at Washington, was a really good quarterback at Fresno State. So he had a really good veteran quarterback to work with. And they threw the ball a lot. They were 27th nationally in passing offense, so that certainly is what they leaned on. And they threw the ball about 80 more times last year than Missouri did, or about six six times more each game. So I think it's reasonable to expect Missouri to throw the ball maybe a little bit more this year than they did under Drinkwitz. It's not that Drinkwitz would not throw the ball. It's just that he really leans on the run to set up the pass. Like They were under Drinkwitz, like historically, wherever he's been. Outside zone has been their play, and they basically work their entire offense out off of outside zone. That big play they broke that Malachi Starks tracked down, remember at the one-yard line, kind of saved the game? That was outside zone. That is what Missouri does. But I don't know if that's what Missouri is going to do anymore now that Eli Drinkwitz has handed over the play-calling duties to Kirby Moore. Kirby Moore, I don't want to say he's pass-happy, but they do run a tempo offense. They will throw the ball more. And uh, as we get to in a minute here, I, their running backs aren't great. So I do think they're probably going to try to throw the ball a little bit more under Kirby Moore. And here's the other thing with Kirby Moore. It's so, so why it makes the quarterback battle more interesting. Totally new coordinator, man. A new play caller. He's absolutely, I don't know if he's going to have the final word, the final decision on who the quarterback is going to be, but he'll be heavily involved at the very, very least. And when you have a brand new set of eyes on all those quarterbacks, he's not beholden to anyone. Like he doesn't have that relationship with Brady Cook. He's brand new to the team. He wasn't there with Brady Cook last year. He knows he was experienced, but he doesn't really know the guy. He wasn't like, you know, you're my guy last year. I'm going to stick with you. Like, that's not how it is. In his mind, it's an open competition. So I do think that potentially gives guys like Jake Garcia and Sam Horn more of a chance to find a way to win this competition and supplant Brady Cook at quarterback. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the quarterback battle is very interesting. I'm going to be watching that very closely over the course of fall camp. But you got to talk about the players around the quarterback as well. They cannot do it alone. And a wide receiver, they do lose their best playmaker. There's no getting around that. They're, they lost Dominic Lovett because I think he went to, um, um, uh, uh, oh yeah, Georgia. And he was by far their most explosive and most consistent playmaker last year. Like running back, receiver, quarterback, it doesn't matter. He was, he was their guy last year. He is gone. So you're having to replace by far your best playmaker on offense. The guy that they are pinning their hopes on is Luther Burden. He's a former five-star out of Missouri. We recruited him heavily. He was down to Georgia, Missouri, kind of like Williams Winery is right now. At least that's kind of how it seems behind the scenes. And he ended up choosing Missouri, stayed at home, and he was 
okay as a freshman last year. He's up and down. He had 375 yards receiving, six touchdowns. Those 375 yards, though, were 500 yards behind Dominic Lovett. But he is an explosive playmaker. Traditionally, the slot position with Eli Drinkwitz has been a prime playmaking position. But again, Eli Drinkwitz is not going to be the play caller. So there's certainly going to be some merging probably of the Drinkwitz offense and the Kirby Moore offense. So I don't know how much emphasis is going to be put on the slot position this year. But if you go back historically, whatever, wherever he's been as a coordinator or as a play caller, that slot position has been a premier spot in the in the Eli Drinkwitz offense. And that is where Luther Burns is going to play. Like From a physical standpoint, that's what he is. That's where he projects to play. And that's almost certainly where he's going to play. They'll move him around a little bit because he's Big-time playmaker, really good return guy as well. So he's going to be their their guy. They, they're hoping he's going to be their alpha at wide receiver. So who do they have to compliment him? Well, a guy named Mookie Cooper had 300 yards-ish receiving last year. He is one of those talented Ohio State guys that couldn't hack it at Ohio State. They just couldn't crack into the rotation and had to transfer out, like following in the footsteps of Jamison Williams and guys like that. So he's at Missouri. He was at Missouri last year, was okay. He was fine. Um, he's a former highly, pretty highly rated recruit, four-star guy. Missouri typically traditionally doesn't get players like that. They have been recruiting better under Drinkwitz, but that's not a guy that Missouri usually gets out of high school if it's not a guy that's from the state of Missouri. So he's a talented guy. We'll see if he can take a, kind of take a step forward this year. Another interesting player is a guy named Theo Weiss. If you're familiar with that name, it's because he played at Oklahoma for three years. And he was never the guy at Oklahoma, but he was solid. He was good. Over a thousand yards, a little over a thousand yards total in three years at OU. Again, not an elite, but a really solid option for an offense that I do believe is going to look to throw the ball more often. Then at running back, yeah, they returned their top two backs, okay? Cody Schrader and Nathaniel Pete. But neither guy is special. They're they're kind of like Brady Cook. They're fine. Cody Schrader is the guy that I mentioned earlier who broke that long run. It was tracked down by Malachi Starks on that game-saving play in, in Como last year. He was their top runner. Um, he's a guy that was, I think, Juco was very lightly recruited, kind of fit their offense, able to run the outside zone really well, so it kind of worked for them. 745 yards rushing, nine touchdowns. Again, fine. Good-ish, not special. Nathaniel Pete was a former player at Stanford, transferred to Missouri last year. He was supposed to be their top guy coming into the year, and he did open the season that way. Dealt with some injuries, and that kind of gave Schrader an opportunity. Pete's a little smaller. Schrader's a big physical guy, but not especially fast. Pete's not like a burner himself, a little bit faster and quicker than Schrader, but also not as big and powerful. 438 yards rushing, two touchdowns last year. Both guys averaged exactly 4.4 yards per carry. But when you have two running backs that are both, again, like their quarterback, they're fine. They're okay. They're just, they're guys. That's what they are. They're just guys out there. They're nothing special. When you have a running back room that looks like that, I don't care that your top two backs return. It, to me, just lends more credence to the idea that they are going to throw the football more this year because why would you not? Your best playmakers are at receiver. You don't have a, a good running back room. It's it's very, very average at best. If one of those two quarterbacks that are competing for the job with Brady Cook, who I think have higher ceilings, Jake Garcia, Sam Horn, if one of those guys can win the job and be a more proficient passer, which I think they will if they win the job, you have some good weapons at receiver. You don't have great weapons at running back. To me, it just makes sense. You're going to throw the ball more, and that's kind of what Curry Moore did at Fresno State. He was the passing game coordinator before he became the full-on coordinator and was calling plays. It just makes sense to me. So we'll see what happens there, but that's kind of my take on what their offense, like their, their splits are going to be. 
offensive line that also is going to factor into where they want to run the ball or throw the ball a little bit more. They were not good last year on the offensive line. In fact, they were they were bad. They were very bad. They were 113th nationally in power success rate. If you're not familiar with that stat, power success rate is the percentage of plays third or fourth down with two or fewer yards to go that you convert for either first downs or touchdowns. They were 113th nationally in power success rate, which basically means they couldn't move people when they had to move people. When the Demons knew they had to run the football, and everyone in the stadium knew they had to run the football, they could not run the football. That's tough. They were 117th nationally in standard down line yards. Line yards are basically the amount of yards per run that are attributed to the offensive line, like before the running back gets hit, all those kind of things. 117th nationally, guys. That is very, very bad. They were 59th nationally in stuff rate, which is the percentage of plays that are stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. And they were 70th nationally in sack rates. They weren't great around the football. They weren't great protecting the passer. They just weren't good. They were not good. They have two starters returning which when you're not good, that's kind of like, okay, that's fine. Maybe we need an infusion of new blood into the into the offensive line. And that's probably the case here. Two stars back. It's both guys on the left side of the line. Javon Foster at left tackle probably projects to be uh, they're probably their best offensive line. I mean, he was pretty decent last year. I don't want to say he's all SEC caliber, but if there is anybody on the line, maybe it's him. Um, one guy I think could actually end up being pretty good for them, but he is taking a step up in competition, is Cameron Johnson, who played guard at Houston last year. He was all league in the American Conference. He started all 13 games for Houston. Only gave up one sack, but it looks like they're going to be asking him to move positions from guard to center. That tra- It's not the most difficult transition. It's not crazy. It's not unheard of, but it is a transition. And you're also moving up in competition to the SEC from the American Conference. So he was good for Houston last year. We'll see how he translates to the SEC. Uh, another guy they're getting in that's transferring in from the G5 is Marcellus Johnson, who was a three-year starter at Eastern Michigan. Right now, they're hoping that he plays right tackle, but a lot like Cameron Johnson, how, how do you make that transition? Like, how easy is that going to be for you? I know you're a three-year starter, you're a veteran, but you're going from you're going from the MAC to the SEC. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for trench play in the SEC? Maybe. And again, they were bad last year. I, I hate the phrase, it can only get better, because that's not always true. It could get worse. You never know. But I do think there's a, a decent chance that they'll be at least slightly better along the offensive line this year. And if you put all that together with this Missouri offense, I do think it has the potential to be a better offense, I think. Like I hesitate somewhat to say that when you're losing your top playmaker in Dominic Lovett. I hesitate to say that, but I do think Luther Burden could have a big sophomore year. I do think there's some nice complimentary pieces that they could take a step forward at receiver around him. I think quarterback play should be better. Even if Brady Cook wins the job, he's going to be in year two, right? Now it's a new coordinator, but he'll be year two. He's got a full year of experience. If he wins the job, if he beats all those guys, it means maybe he's taking a stride. But if Garcia or Sam Horn win the job, I think they're going to have a better passing offense. Uh, running backs, they are what they are. Offensive line, I think should be a little bit better. You got a new play caller coming in. I think I have, I think he did a good job at, at Fresno. You know, it's just always tough. Like when you're coming into a new league and you don't have that, you don't have a ton. He's only 31. Again, he doesn't have a ton of experience. He's only one year as a play caller. I'm curious to see what the marriage is going to be like when you when you're when you have a head coach who has called plays his entire career and basically got this job at Missouri by virtue of his ability to call plays. It's always interesting, like when they hand over play calling dudes. Remember Gus Malzahn? Like how many times did that dude bring a new offensive coordinator, hand the job over, hand the play calling duties over, and then like midway through the season when things aren't going so well, he pulls those play calling duties right back. I'm not saying that could, that that very well could happen because let's not forget 
Again, Eli Drinkwitz is a Gus Malzahn disciple going back way back. So that would not shock me if that happens. So I'm, I'm curious to see what that marriage ends up being like. I mean, you have a young office coordinator who's only in the second year calling plays. You have this, this head coach, kind of a brash dude, kind of a cocky dude, even though he kind of looks like a nerd. And he cut his teeth, made his name by calling plays. So things don't go great right away. Dude, I, I really, truly could see him pulling those play calling duties back. I don't know that, but... I also don't think that's crazy to suggest if you consider the guy, the relative youth and experience of the of the new coordinator who is he, he who he is handing play calling duties over to. And again, I go back to what I said earlier. I do think like this is a big year for Eli Drinkwitz. Like he very well could get fired this year if they don't show some improvement. So if things don't go well right away on offense, I mean, hey, he might be coaching for his job. So he might be taking those play calling duties back. So it'll be interesting to watch. But I do think there's some talent here at spots where they could be slightly better this year. I don't think they're going to take a massive jump forward offense. I, I don't think you lose your best playmaker and that happens, but I do think with all the reasons I mentioned, they could reasonably be a little bit better on offense this year. And we're going to flip it over to the defense here in just a moment, but quickly, I do want to remind you guys once again about our friends at my bookie. I know the season doesn't technically kick off here for a couple of weeks. Week zero is that last weekend of August, so you've got a couple weeks before you're actually betting on real games, but in the meantime, there's still plenty of money to be made with those preseason win total bets. You guys know your football, so put that knowledge to use and win some money this season with those win totals that you just feel so confident are going to hit. I'm all over Arkansas again. I know I probably should have learned my lesson last year, but they should have won more than six games last year. I'm on the Hogs again. They're going to make me right this year. I'm on NC State. I'm on... Kentucky, huge. I'm deep into Kentucky. I'm all over Washington. I have multiple preseason bets on Washington. And I know you guys have teams that you are high on coming into the season as well. So jump on mybookie.ag today. If you're a brand new user, use the code UGA when you sign up for an account. And that first deposit, they will give you a 50% deposit bonus. So that's just extra money to make more money with. So sign up today and bet responsibly, but have a great time with it this season. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Did you know electric vehicles put more strain on your tires because EVs are heavy and have more torque? At Discount Tire, we love to help match you with the perfect tire for your electric vehicle because we LV your EV. Buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Okay, guys, it's time to talk the Missouri defense. And this was the backbone of their entire team last year. So they did get to 6-6. Six and six. They got to bowl eligibility with that late season win against Arkansas. That did put a stake in my Arkansas win total bet, speaking of my bookie. But they would not have even gotten remotely close to bowl eligibility if it was not for a significant improvement on the defensive side of the ball a year ago. It really was. It was the strength of this team. It was a vast improvement over what Missouri put out there in the field in 2021. They were a certified disaster on defense in 21. They bring in Blake Baker as their defensive coordinator last year, who had previously been a DC at Miami for a couple of years, and he just completely turned things around immediately. They went from 113 nationally in yards per play in 2021 all the way up to 45th last year. They were 4th in the SEC in total defense, giving up 340 yards a game, 6th in the league in yards per play at 5.28, and they were 8th in the league in scoring defense, giving up a little more than 25 points a game. So none of those numbers tell you they were elite because they were not an elite defense, but they were very good. Very good, but just not elite. 
And I do think once again this year, this defense is going to be the strength of the team. As I mentioned earlier, I do think the offense will take a step forward. How big of a step, that certainly remains to be seen. I think that's largely dependent on the quarterback. Do they get better play out of the quarterback position? We'll see. I think it's possible. We'll see. But this defense is going to be good again. I think it will be at least as good as it was last year, if not take a, a solid step forward this year. Blake Baker is a really good defensive coordinator. That defense gave us all we could handle. We know how much everyone respected and loved Todd Munkin a year ago and really the past two years but you guys remember that game against Missouri last year especially the first half our offense was all out of sorts and that wasn't anything necessarily to do with Todd Munkin he was a great coordinator in that game just like he was in every other game he was the same guy Blake Baker just had a fantastic game plan and that game plan if you remember was just basically to sell out against the run they were extraordinarily aggressive and that was pretty much par for the course for Missouri last year. That wasn't necessarily just a Georgia-specific game plan. That's kind of how they operated on the defensive side of the ball. Blake Baker kind of runs this 4-2-5, very aggressive scheme. And it worked last year with what they were trying to do. Because they were trying to force the issue. They know that talent-wise, they can't really match up with the Georgias of the world. They don't have that kind of talent. So what do you have to do? You just gotta sell out, man. Like you just gotta you gotta turn up the pressure. You gotta try to force the the offense into uncomfortable situations. And they had a lot of success against us last year, at least in the first half, before we kind of figured things out. But if you look at their numbers last year, they were 12th in stuff rate, which is percentage of plays they're stopping at or behind the line of scrimmage. They were 17th nationally in sack rate. They were first in the SEC and 11th nationally in tackles for a loss. So you get the idea, right? They forced the issue. They were hyper-aggressive, and they were creating a lot of negative, disruptive plays, which puts offenses behind the chains, puts them in uncomfortable situations. No offense likes to be in third long, and they were able to do that much more consistently last year than they did in 2021, which is a big reason why they saw that jump last year. They were putting offenses in situations that are not really consistently conducive to success because they were creating havoc on those early standard downs. And they did that with great effect. Once again, we saw that firsthand up close and personal last year in Columbia, Missouri. I mean, guys, we rushed for 43 yards in the first half of that game against Missouri. And one of those runs was a 30 plus yarder. So the vast majority of those 43 yards came on one run. And that was the run that Kendall Milton bust up the middle and ended up fumbling at the end of the play. So it was kind of nullified anyway. Well, we couldn't run the football. We were consistently in third and long. You remember that, right? And we had trouble converting on third downs. We had trouble moving the football when we couldn't convert on third downs in those third and long situations on a consistent basis in the first half. In the second half, we kind of committed more to the run. We went to more of gap gap scheme stuff. We were, were running a lot of zone scheme stuff in the first half. And when you are facing a team that's hyper aggressive in how they are defending you and they're bringing a lot of pressure, bringing a lot of guys, when you run that zone scheme stuff, you create run through lanes for those guys that are willing to just rush up field. And when they were able to do that, they were getting, getting in the backfield, creating tackles for loss, negative plays, and just putting us in really tough situations. So what do we do in the second half? Got to give Todd Muckin credit. We realized what they were doing and we went to far more gap scheme stuff, ran some power, ran some counter, and lo and behold, we were able to just start to manhandle them, move the football, stay out of those third and long situations, and score just enough points to win that football game. But the fact remains, that Missouri defense gave us all we could handle for three quarters of that football game. And it was not that they just had better talent than we did. Not the case at all. It was just a well-conceived, well-executed game plan. But as we know, when you are aggressive like that, 
You live by the blitz, you die by the blitz, right? They were 10th out of 14 teams in the league last year, giving up 50-plus yard passing plays. So, yeah, you're going to create a lot of negative plays. You're also going to give up far more explosive plays than you probably otherwise would, and they saw that some last year. But that's clearly a risk they are willing to take. So they did take a massive step forward in year one under Blake Baker, the new defensive coordinator, and now they're in year two with eight returning starters off of that unit from a year ago. So you have to think it's pretty reasonable to expect them to take another positive step forward this year, considering those circumstances. Now, I will admit the three guys they lost off of last year's defense were impact players. Isaiah McGuire led the team in sacks. Trajan Jeffco was a really consistent player for them. Martez Manuel was a really experienced veteran defensive back for them. So those were three really good players from that defense, but they still returned eight guys. And for my money, the best returning player on this defense is a guy named Tyron Hopper, who is a veteran, man. He's returning for his fifth year, has not spent his entire career at Missouri. He actually spent his first three years at Florida. So you might kind of somewhat remember that name from, from Florida and the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, but also maybe not because he wasn't an impact player for Florida. There's a reason that he transferred, but he transfers to Missouri before last year and had a really, really good year for Missouri. He led not just their team, he led the entire SEC in tackles for loss with 14 TFL. So again, hyper-aggressive, very attacking style defense, and Tyron Harper was a really, really good fit for what they do. He's an, he's an athletic player. It just kind of fits that scheme. He's an aggressive player, and it, just, and it works. So he has returned this year, and he, I, he, for my money, should probably still be the best player on the team. I think one of their, their cornerbacks in his rake draw, which we'll get to in a minute, highly recruited player, really talented player, Started to show some signs really coming on last year. He might actually end up being that guy. But Hopper was was really, really good for them last year. Finished second on the team in tackles and was absolutely an impact player for them. So it's nice to have a guy like that back in the middle of your defense. On the defensive line, they don't have a superstar per se. Darius Robinson was a really good, consistent player for them in the middle of their defense on the, on the line last year. There was a thought that he was going to leave, but he actually made the announcement he's going to return. He's back for another year, which was somewhat of a surprise for them. So he's back, and he's going to be joining with Jaden Jernigan, Kristen Williams there on the interior of their defensive line. It's a good, solid interior defensive line. It's it's not like an elite group. It's not going to be one of the best in the SEC, but they are good, solid veteran players that really kind of fit that aggressive 4-2-5 system that Blake Baker likes to run. I do think their cornerbacks are really good. I think their secondary is good, guys. They have a good group, of not just corners, safeties as well. A lot of returning experience, which is really something they have all over the defense. But it's two guys that are returning it at corner. Chris Abrams, Drain, and Ennis Rakestraw, who I mentioned a few minutes ago. Ennis Rakestraw, you might remember this. I don't know, it's a couple years ago. So when... Drinkwitz first got the job, all right, in that first offseason when he was when he had, had gotten the job like a month before and he was trying to put together his first recruiting class. It was he was trying to hold it together and he's trying to add some new names to the list. Ennis Rakestraw was his big get at the end there. And, and it was really Alabama who who I don't want to say stole him from Alabama stole him from Alabama, but Alabama was considered the favorite for Rakestraw down the stretch. And some way, somehow, Drinkwitz pulled it off and was able to get him to come to Missouri. And that was kind of the first sign that, okay, all right, maybe this guy might be able to recruit a little bit of a different level. And if you remember the video, Rickershaw calls him, says he's coming to Missouri. He goes bananas and like just runs through their football office screaming and yelling and acting like a crazy person, which a lot of coaches tend to do. They want to put on a show when a guy commits, especially when they know it's being filmed. And that was a, that was a big coup for them early on in his tenure. Now, Rickershaw played some as a true freshman, 
wasn't particularly good. He had a pretty steep learning curve there, but you can see the athleticism. He's tall, he's long, but last year he really started to come along. He was 11th in the SEC in his pro football focus grade at the cornerback position. So not an elite year last year, but again, he started to show improvement. He started to show signs that he could be that guy. And I do think it's it's very possible, maybe even likely, that Rakish Draw takes a big step forward this year and becomes a guy that can be a, a really big-time player at the cornerback position that can, I don't want to say take away an entire side of the field because with the way rules are written nowadays, you guys know, I don't think it's true that anyone's a true shutdown corner. I don't think those players exist. I don't think they're allowed to exist anymore. But I think he has a chance to be a really high-level cornerback in the SEC and maybe even put himself in the conversation to be somewhere between like the first, second, third-round draft pick. I think that's possible with the with the overall talent this guy has. Let's just see if he can put it all together on the field, which, again, he showed signs of doing late last year. So the Abrams Drain, who was really consistent for them last year, another guy who's not an elite corner, but a consistent player who's played a lot of football for them. So two really good options at the cornerback position. They also return both safeties. And one of those guys, actually their leading tackler, Jalen Carley's leading tackler on the team last year. I don't know if that's really a good thing for your safety to be a leading, your leading tackler, but that was the position they're in. That also gives you an idea, once again, of how aggressive this defensive style is. They use their safeties a lot near the line of scrimmage. Again, they're forcing the issue. They're getting guys in the box. They're bringing guys from all angles. They're bringing safeties on blitzes. They're trying to force the issue. And the fact that Carly's was their lean tackler is pretty indicative of that. And then he's going to be back there. His running mate is Joseph Charleston. Again, another guy who's not an elite player, not the most talented player out there in the SEC, but a guy that's played a lot of football for Missouri. He fits that system and knows what they want to do. And going into year two under Blake Baker, you put all that together and it's very reasonable to think that I said their offense should take at least a small step forward this year. I think their defense could take a, a pretty solid step forward this year. I think they could go from you know 45th in yards per play nationally somewhere inside the top 30. I think that's that's a reasonable expectation for this defense with the players that they return, the experience that they have, and Blake Baker being back in year two. The guys understand the system a little bit more now, and him just having honestly another year with these guys knowing what their skill sets are, their strengths, their weaknesses are. I think that this Missouri defense is going to be really good again. I think it will be the strength of the defense once again, and I think that they will take another step forward in the right direction. So there it is. That is the Missouri Tigers. I do think this is a team that has a chance to take the kind of strides from a record standpoint that they're probably going to need to take for Eli Drinkwitz to keep his job. They probably need to get to about eight wins. I think for him to feel really comfortable that he's going to be brought back for a fifth year, I think eight wins. Now, if they lose two or three games in heartbreaking fashion and really win the right game, so let's say they they win six or seven games again. It's not really a, a statistical improvement from a record standpoint, but let's say they pull an upset and they beat Tennessee or something at home like that. They somehow beat LSU at home. They win a big game like that. Maybe he can still find a way to keep his job if he wins the right games. Maybe. But I think if Eli Drinkwitz really wants to feel comfortable about coming back for another year, they need to get about eight wins. And there are a lot of people out there that are pretty high on Missouri. Can I see them as a sleeper team? Their win total was six and a half, six, six and a half, depending on your sports book you look at. And I know a lot of people that are like, man, I'm jumping all over Missouri. And I don't think that's crazy. I just wouldn't jump all over them. I would probably pick them. If, if the window was at six, I would definitely pick them to go over. 
because I think they'll get to probably at least six, and I think you have a push at worst. Six and a half is a little iffy, man. I don't know. I think it's possible, but I don't know if I feel that confident. I feel a lot more confident in a team like Arkansas to go over six and a half and Kentucky to go over six and a half than I would Missouri to go over six and a half. If you look at, if you look at this schedule, it's not easy. I mean, South Dakota, they're going to win. Middle Tennessee State, they're going to win. Kansas State at home, and this is the defending Big 12 champion that also has a lot of guys returning from that Big 12 championship team last year. They get them at home, but they also lost to Kansas State 40-12 to last year. So, ah, man, they could win that game, yes, but I would lean Kansas State right now, even though it's in Como. Memphis, is that game's in St. Louis. I'll give Missouri that win. So let's say 3-1 and one to start off with. At Vandy, they're going to win. That's 4-1. and one. So they're going to start off pretty well. And that could build some confidence. But then you got LSU at home. I know it's at home. Probably not going to win that game. 4-2 and two. at Kentucky. I'm really high on Kentucky. That game's in Lexington. Give me Kentucky there. It's 4-3. and three. South Carolina at home. That is a true toss-up game. Uh, I will say Missouri has had Shane Beamer's number. For all the love that Shane Beamer gets, beating Tennessee, beating Clemson, still hasn't beat Missouri. Has not beat Missouri since he's been at South Carolina. This one is in Columbia. You know what? Toss-up, but let's give it to Missouri. So let's say, what, 5-3 and three there at Georgia. Loss, 5-4. and four. Tennessee at home, probably a loss, 5-5. Five and five. Florida at home, um, man, that's an ultimate toss-up game. Give me Missouri. Florida's had issues in Columbia, so six and five. And then at Arkansas, I like the Hogs this year. Arkansas should have won that game last year. God damn it, they blew that game. So I'm going to say six and six. And again, maybe they get to seven, but I'm not super confident in that. For them to get to seven and eight wins, they're going to have to pull some upsets, man. They're going to have to beat Kansas State or beat LSU, beat Tennessee, beat Georgia, which, I mean, I know they came close last year. I just don't see that happening in Athens. They're not going to catch us sleeping like they did last year. So yeah, I think Seven wins might be the number, um, but I think six is a very real possibility. Again, if they only get to six, I don't know, man. I don't know if Drinkwitz lives to see another year as the Missouri football head coach. But all right, guys, that is the Missouri Scouting the Enemy episode, and we are getting close to the end here, guys. we got Ole Miss next week, which I'm really excited about. I've been deep into Ole Miss film study. I've been watching them for a couple of weeks now. I um I have a lot to say about Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss could be a really good football team. So we'll talk a lot about that next week. And then the following week, we will have the Tennessee Volunteers, which will probably end up being the most listened to of our Scout Enemy episodes this offseason because Tennessee has been running their mouth a lot and they, they feel like they're going to be Georgia. So we will dive fully into that here in a couple of weeks. But for now, guys, I'm out of here. I appreciate, of course, you guys being here. Thank you so much. Always, always, always appreciate your support. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel, Glory UGA. Just go to YouTube and search for Glory UGA. You can go to Google and search for Glory UGA YouTube. It should pop up easily there for you. Got a couple of videos already up and running for you guys. Thank you so much to everyone who's watched. If you haven't, please give it a shot. Like and subscribe. Thank you so much. Five-star ratings and reviews are also extremely appreciated. So yeah, thank you. But that's it for me today, guys. I will be back one more time later this week, and we will be talking about the reasons why I think the Georgia Bulldogs can pull off the three-peat this year, the unprecedented college football playoff three-peat. I'll have a lot of great stuff for you guys later this week. So come on back, check it out. But uh, have, a, have a great day, guys. Appreciate you. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.